0: one may be overpowered by another two can withstand him
1: and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Well good morning everyone welcome to Strength to Strength. It's a real real blessing to be here with you again this morning. It's a beautiful fall morning here in central Pennsylvania. I love 40s and beautiful out. I was outside this morning for a little walk and yeah stars are just amazing. So there's something about fall and Kind of that, those clear atmospheres, trees, leaves changing. That is it's really a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, just yeah, it's a proclamation of an amazing creator for sure. Well, this morning we're excited to begin a new theme. Uh, you might have picked up on that, <clears throat> and our theme uh, that we'll be working on over the next number of of months um, is called. I'm just getting here to my my page. I'm not sure that disappeared on me, but I can get there very quickly. Is the theme is called Sacred Writings or Sacred Scripture, and so we'll be looking at the Bible and um over the next number of months. So we're we're very uh, excited about that. It's something that we've been kind of pounding on for maybe the last six months. Um, Numerous different meetings have pulled in numerous different people to help us build this theme, uh, our advisors, etc. <clears throat> and um, so this morning we get to begin that, and I'm so excited about the topic uh, of this morning's um, talk, and that is the revelation of Jesus. And I would like us to be thinking about um, as we begin this theme, why would we begin it on looking at Jesus? And I think Greg is going to do his best to help us understand that. Um, but I think it's very crucial and very foundational as we begin looking at these talks on the Bible, history of the Bible um, uh, that's been given to us, the, the Holy Word of God. I'm just going to begin by reading um here out of uh, 2nd Timothy. This morning I was here in in this chapter, starting at verse 15, Paul writing to, to, to Timothy, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's a prophet for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And earlier in, in the same book, back in chapter two, Paul writes this, um, which is interesting here as we think of Holy Scripture, as we think of, you know, what, what, what we call sometimes the Word of God. But what is the Word of God? Um, verse 9 of 2 of, of, uh, Timothy 2, verse 9, for, for which I suffered trouble as an evildoer even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. And so I'm looking forward to this talk and this theme as we try to understand the Bible, uh, the, the Holy Scripture, um, and the word of God, and what is that and how we can best apply it uh, to our lives. Okay. Greg comes to us from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. His wife and two children live there in a house on the corner of, uh, well, I know the one street is California Avenue in um, the section of Pittsburgh called Brighton Heights uh, from their house. They live in a second story uh, above Wendell Martins um, <clears throat> from their house. They can see down to the Ohio river and there's a mile earlier um, the river comes together, the mungihelia and the Allegheny River come together. I think from your rooftop there, I've, I've seen a picture when you're up working on your roof, Wendell. You can see the, the rivers where they come together in downtown. So just a couple minutes from downtown, it's a new church plant there. I think Greg's moved there maybe a, a year ago uh, to to begin that that work there. Um, so we're excited to have you with us, Greg. And before we get started, let's just bow our heads for prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity this privilege, this sacred privilege we have to not only be your children but to also be your ambassadors, to be your representatives here on this earth, to people around us, to communities, to the world and father we we, we care deeply that we want to that we do this faithfully that we take this sacred re- responsibility. And, and, and do it in a way that is pleasing to you. Do it in a way that's, that's, um, to the best of our abilities, complete, um, that we're presenting you in, in, in all your flourishing and all your beauty. And so Father, we need much. We need your Holy Spirit and we, we need your scriptures. Um, so Father, I pray, Lord, that you would, that you would, uh, help us to know how to live and to move and, and to be your representatives Mm -hmm. father i pray a special blessing on greg as he shares here this morning uh just bless him in a special way fill him with your spirit father and as we listen father pray that we could have a uh as we grapple with with uh an understanding of scripture and how to look at it uh as we look at uh, your word your your written word and and how it leads to to you Jesus, your, our, our living word. Father, pray that we could, that it could just, uh, fill us with joy and that we could go out, um, to the people around us, to our families, to our church, our church communities and to our, our broader communities and, and, uh, be people who point to you and, and who announce Jesus, uh, your son and, and your kingdom to this world. So Father, God direct this, this talk here this morning. And we, we love you and we ask this in Jesus name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. All right. Uh, brother Gray,
2: it's all yours. Okay. Well, good morning everyone.
0: I've been, uh, assigned this topic, the revelation of Jesus Christ
3: and, uh,
0: the, uh, subject of trying to interpret the scriptures in such a way that we come out at the right place. Come out with, uh, come out of Jesus. And, uh, I would say at the beginning of this, I'm not an expert on this. I'm not a theologian and, uh, there's probably a lot of people who could give this topic better than I could. Um, I probably won't say a lot of things that could be said or perhaps should be said, but, um, I do want to look at a few scriptures and I think there's some things we can learn from them. Uh, I would like to start off with
2: a scripture uh, that Brian already read. And uh, so thanks for saving me some breath there, Brian.
0: We want to try and narrow down uh, a bit how to interpret the scriptures. And uh, we're going to be looking at how Jesus and the apostles uh, approach this subject and try to, to uh, imitate them. And then the scripture I want to begin with is, Second Timothy, chapter three, verse 16. I'm not going to read all of that. I already did, but it says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And uh, I believe that to be true. But I think it's worth noting that it doesn't say all interpretations of scripture are inspired by God. So that is what we're trying to narrow down a little bit. I would like to uh, I'm going to define this idea this what we sometimes call the crystal centric hermeneutic using Jesus as a lens for interpreting the scriptures. I would like to define it and then illustrate it and uh, then how to use it and then end with a few disclaimers and clarifications. So with that being said, we will begin with defining it. Um, So, we want to be using jesus' life, character, and teachings as a lens to interpret all the scriptures. His life, an example is a commentary for the scriptures this is how I like to think about it. We have our commentaries they tell us how to tell us how to read what what the
2: scripture means, and jesus' life and teachings serve that purpose. The primary um sources that I'm
0: going to be considering will be um while well, Jesus talked about the law and
2: the prophets, uh, He came to fulfill them. I'm going to be primarily focusing on the prophets. So, Peter, in his first letter, uh, verses uh, chapter one, verses ten through
0: through twelve, had this to say: Of this salvation, speaking of the salvation in Christ, the prophets had inquired and searched carefully. He prophesied of the grace. That would come to you, searching what and what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicated, indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. So... This was sort of a new thought for me the first time I read this. Uh, The prophets were speaking of things which were to come. And uh, when they searched them out, they were told that these things that they were saying were not for their for them, but it was for us. says they were ministering it to us. So a lot of the prophets were written to. the, uh, The the people of Israel. In the Old Testament. But they were written for us. And they were actually written more for us. Than for them. If I understand this. uh, What Peter is saying. So. That is what we want to be considering. To read some of the prophets. And consider what they have to say. uh, They
2: have to say. To us. So. This idea. Of. A hermeneutic, a brief definition of that, yet in addition to what I've already said,
0: um, there's many principles for interpreting the scriptures that we can use. And uh, in a sense, the crystal-centric hermeneutic is a method that can be used in, in many different principles. Every principle that we have Every principle for interpreting the scriptures, we want to point towards Jesus. So Jesus is where we aim. And there's a certain sense where a hermeneutic, this crystal centric hermeneutic is a broad category that can be applied to different ways we might recognize the different genres of scripture. And, uh, there's, well, I don't have a lot of them on top of off the top of my head, but there's many principles we can use and there's a, a way in which we can use those things that's they're faithful to the, the this crystal centric idea. A hermeneutic in brief definition is the art of interpretation. And so what we want to to uh
2: to learn here is the art of interpreting the scriptures in a crystal centric way. So P, um not Peter, I'm sorry, but
0: uh, Jesus on the road to Emmaus spoke of this when he talked with two men that he met there, and I I would like to read verses twenty-five through twenty seven I'm sorry, Luke twenty-four, twenty-five through twenty-seven. So then he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow part to believe all to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to to enter into his glory? And and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. All this. So we have Jesus saying that there's things written about him in all the scriptures. Uh, he also said in John 15, verses 39 through 40, that you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But they are not willing, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So Jesus is using the scriptures in a very certain way. He's, he's saying that they speak of him and uh they need to bring us to him. And not all who read the scriptures come to him, apparently, or else he wouldn't have warned against it. So the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament is is pregnant with expectation. And uh so as we journey through this, we want to consider what was the expectation, what are the things that the prophets wrote for us or um and I'm going to focus primarily or mostly on Abraham. The reason I chose Abraham is because he is an Old Testament figure of which the New Testament has much to say, so hopefully he can clarify this, his life can clarify this. So that was the brief definition of the hermeneutic, the idea of reading Jesus into the, as the center of the scriptures, seeing Jesus in the center of the scriptures. And so I would like to try to illustrate that through the life of Abraham. Jesus made this statement of Abraham in John 8 verse 56. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now for myself, reading the life of Abraham, I'm not sure how I would have, uh, said or observed that he saw Jesus, but that's what Jesus himself said.
2: And so we want to consider that thought. Romans 15 verse eight says this, now I see, now I say that Jesus Christ has
0: become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers so we know that the old testament and the prophets the the fathers they were were given a lot of promises uh things
2: that would happen and uh it says that jesus confirmed them so confirming meaning
0: that he established the truth or the correctness of something that was previously believed so these promises were prophetic promises and, uh, we're going to focus in on, on one particular father, Abraham, and, uh, two promises, and then that'll expand out into some more figures in the Old Testament. The promises I would like to focus on are, on are out of Genesis 12 and Genesis 17. It
2: says Genesis 12, 12. I'm sorry. Genesis 12, one to three. Got my. That's a little mixed up here. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram,
0: get out of your country and from your father and from your family and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, reading this, I don't know what this would have meant to me initially. But Paul, Paul has this to say about it, and uh, anyone who has an interest in these particular passages knows that there's numerous interpretations uh, on these. And uh, so I won't necessarily mention them, but uh, Paul in Galatians 3 says this, that's verses uh, 7 through 9. Therefore know that those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you will all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. I remember the first time I read this particular passage. I I couldn't believe I had read Galatians numerous times and had never noticed this, the statement that in you. All the families of the earth will be blessed. According to Paul, here in Galatians 3, verse 8, was God preaching the gospel to uh, the gospel about Jesus Christ to Abraham. Genesis, Genesis uh, 17, verses uh, 7 through 8. We're going to read those and we'll comment, or comment some more on the initial there once there in uh, Genesis 12. Genesis 17 says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I will give you, give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. I will be
2: their God. So. Reading further in Galatians 3. Verses 14 through 16, Paul has this
0: to say. It says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. is where all my scriptures are coming from. However, uh, the the Old King James Version renders this one uh, in a slightly different way. And I think it captures it well. It says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet it is confirmed. If it is confirmed, notice the word confirmed, no one annuls it or adds to it. Not to Abraham and his seed whether the promise is made. He does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one into your seed who is Christ. So we want to, I want to observe that word, uh, confirm. He says that the blessings of Abraham have come upon the Gentiles. The Gentiles is, uh, the word also means nations. So the blessings, the blessing of Abraham came upon the nations through Jesus Christ. And this was the gospel message proclaimed to Abraham. This message was proclaimed to Abraham when God told him, in you will all the nations be blessed and uh it said it was confirmed it it was confirmed is what Paul is saying and that echoes what he said in Romans 15 when he said Jesus is the one that confirmed these promises so as we think about uh expectation and what to expect Paul says that the right expectation uh from of this uh this promise was the
2: gospel of Jesus which has, uh, was accomplished in his day. And, uh, so the, uh, the people, the seed, it says was not plural, but one. So it's not, uh,
0: many. It's only one. He said this promise was made to, uh, made to Christ and, uh, it calls Christ a seed. And uh, one thing that we know about a seed is that if it is planted, it sprouts and brings forth many more after its kind. And so this blessing, uh, it came down through the ages to Jesus. But Jesus died, was planted as a seed, the seed of the woman. And uh, he rose again out of the earth and he brought many sons to glory. And so we know that this blessing of Jesus was, was given to us and so we are partakers and, or maybe the word would be participators of this, uh, this blessing. We have received it. Galatians 3.29 says If you are Christ and you
2: are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So this is at least my understanding
0: of how this, uh, how Jesus is The center of this particular story. And uh, this is Paul giving us the information. So I've, we've looked at uh, the promise that the families of the earth will be blessed. I'd also like to look at the land promise and what the New Testament has to say about this. Stephen in his, in his defense, just shortly before his martyrdom, made this statement about Abraham. Sojourning in the land of promise, he said God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set a foot on. That's a strong statement or a good observation. Hebrews chapter 11, I want to uh, read verses 8 through 16. He says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah also, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, And him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. And catch this, and these all died in faith, having not having received the promises. But having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called
2: their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And then uh, jumping down to the last two verses in Hebrews 11. Uh, maybe we should
0: briefly point out first. So it talks about Abram, Abraham and his descendants. And I didn't read the whole chapter for the sake of time, but it mentions many of them by name. And it says, they all
2: died having not received the promises. And uh, verses 39 and 40, the last
0: two says, these all, he reiterates this, these all having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for
2: us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So, Paul in, well, briefly mentioned before that I don't know.
0: There was for a long time I thought that the uh, the the New Testament did not have much to say about this until I ran over some of these verses and uh, Paul in. Romans four four thirteen has this to say for the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham and his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law
2: are heirs, faith is made void and the promise of no effect. So it's my perspective, at least that Abraham
0: there's no other place where Abraham was promised land other than in uh, there in, in Genesis 17. And Paul is somehow observing that he was promised to be, that he would be heir of the world. Um, which brings us to Jesus' commandments that the meat shall inherit the earth. Um, it seems to me that at least that Paul is believing that the ultimate Fulfillment of the promise to Abraham would be accomplished through his inheritance of the world, which the meat shall receive. So I think that this particular promise is fulfilled in the way that Jesus brings about new creation, the new heavens and the earth. And thinking about new creation, I think that it is something that encapsulates both us and the world in that. The justification, which Paul spoke about in Galatians 3, is God's work of new creation in us. And uh, we could also think ahead to Revelation in which new creation is completed with the whole world and uh, together uh, all things are made perfect. And so it seems to me that the way the apostles used this, they saw Jesus as fulfilling that promise as well, ultimately. Uh, and so these all these saints all these figures in rome or hebrews 11 died having not received the promise but in hebrews 12 verses 20 through 22 through 24 um the writer has this to say He says, but you have come from mount zion and to the city of the living god the heavenly jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God the judge of all to the spirits of just men made perfect to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks of better things than that of Abel so it sounds like we have sort of arrived in some sense at least begun to arrive and uh, he, one of the things that he points out is that we have come to the spirits of just men made perfect and so I think this is once again reiterating the fact that there's something about coming to this kingdom era, the day of of Jesus' kingdom, the establishment of this kingdom, where we have been made just or we have been justified. And so I think it's fair to say that the saints of old were looking for this day. I mentioned that the Jewish scriptures are pregnant with expectation. Jesus confirmed it. He confirmed what was expected. And now he's telling us this is what it looks like. So it tells us what our expectations should be. And uh, I think it's worth mentioning that sometimes our expectations don't align with the response. And it's better to rework our expectations and realize that we were looking for the wrong thing than to rework the answer. Um and so in conclusion to this particular section with Abraham, I would like to read Acts 3 verse 18 through 26. So this rises almost to the top of my favorite scriptures. It has so much meaning in it. And uh, a lot of this is going to be repeating what was already said, but I think it's just too important to not uh, go through it. Acts 3 verses 18 through 26 says, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of his all his prophets, that the christ would suffer he has thus fulfilled repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that the time of refreshing may come from the presence of the lord and that he may send jesus who was preached to you before so two times we have paul i mean peter i'm sorry peter's doing the preaching here he's talking about the things that god has foretold by the mouth of his prophets and jesus who was preached to you before so this is Jesus, who the prophets spoke of, the ones who they searched about and were told that that it wasn't for them to know, it was for us. So continuing in verse 21, it says, Whom heaven must receive until the rest time of restoration of all things. I think that's speaking of new creation, the uh, completion of the new creation. He says, Which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So he says that all the prophets have spoken about this. For Moses truly said to the fathers, "The Lord your God will raise up to you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things. Whatever he says to you, you it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet will be utterly destroyed from among the people." The yes, and all prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. So Peter is understanding that prophets. We're speaking of the days that they had encountered there in the book of Acts. In verse 25, it says, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed will all the families of the earth be blessed. He's reiterating uh, Abraham's blessing, the blessing given to Abraham, the promise given to Abraham. In 26, he says, To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus Christ, his servant Jesus, sent him to bless
2: you. He was that blessing in turning every man and turning every one of you from your iniquities, so
0: hopefully I haven't lost you there, and uh, you can see how Jesus confirmed and fulfilled these promises made to Father Abraham. He was the one that was being expected, and so this is this is the illustration that I have chosen. And I think that once we get a hold of this on how that Jesus was the center, he was the one that was expected, we can use this in many different ways in many other areas. For instance, there's other passages we can read Christocentrically. The son of David, who God said would come and build his temple in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We can see Jesus having been the one, that one to come build the temple. He is the son of David, who God would raise up to sit on David's throne forever. It's also, out of Second Samuel chapter seven, Peter directly says that's who it was in his uh, opening sermon there at Pentecost. Um, G- uh, God shall make a new covenant, Jeremiah thirty-one uh, verses thirty-one through thirty-four. This would have meant initially, I think, that while Israel was about to go into captivity or had already gone uh, into captivity to Babylon. And uh, to their ears, it probably meant that well, God would bring them back from bondage and renew the covenant with them and reestablish them in Israel, which certainly did happen, but the uh writer of Hebrews specifically says that no, this was referring to the new covenant that Jesus would make with his people when he came, so we can see that uh this was ultimately pointing to Jesus um he is the prophet that God uh would raise up after Moses that he spoke of in Deuteronomy 18. To many ears in the first and, or to many of the ears of those listening in Moses' day, it probably meant Joshua, but, uh, the apostles tell us, no, it was, uh, it was Jesus. He's that prophet that we shall hear in all things. Uh, Haggai 2 verse 9, uh, says the latter house will be more glorious than the former. To their ears, it would have meant that when God brings them back from bondage in, uh, back from Babylon, he would re reestablish them as a nation and, uh, it would build a new temple. And to them, it would have sounded like, well, that temple is going to be more glorious
2: than Solomon's temple. But, uh, there's some problems with that, obviously, because it wasn't, it, they did rebuild the
0: temple, but it wasn't more glorious from my understanding. So, and also Ezekiel 40 through 48, uh, describes this temple, um, it sounds a lot like the temple in Revelation. And, uh, I think it's, uh, it's reasonable to read Christ into the center of this temple as well. So one of the things that we we're told about the temple, Ezekiel 43, uh, verses one through five is, is where it's talked about is, is that God's presence would return to the temple. And God's presence never did return to that temple that they built after they came back from Babylon, according to my understanding. But Jesus came and he said, destroy this temple, referring to his own body, and he would raise it up in three days.
2: That's in John 2, verse 19. So, could it be that he is the one that built the temple? He is the son of uh of david who would build the temple so ezekiel tells us that the presence of god
0: would return to the temple god uh, jesus called his own body to the temple and uh, colossians 119 it says that in him jesus dwells the fullness of god and this is then to expand it to the church says in Ephesians 2 that the church is to go into a holy temple. In him we are built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So I think that Jesus and his temple fulfills these prophecies. They speak of the return of God's presence, God's tabernacle, God's dwelling place. And uh and Jesus obviously fulfilled that. With that our mind could go to Revelation uh Twenty, I believe it is. There's that temple described there, and if you read that carefully, you're going to notice that that temple is actually um, re- referred to with a pronoun. It's not an "it"; it's it's a "they." Um, it gives it gives us reason to believe that uh that should be perhaps be interpreted in the same manner. So this is. A method I think that we can take
2: to uh, to the vast parts of the scriptures. So, in conclusion to the illustration um, and how we
0: interpret them, I see three possible options um, to. Of what There's uh, three options of what we want to believe about the scriptures. Uh, one is that they point to Jesus and he fulfilled them, which is the New Testament understanding. Uh, the second one is that it points to a different Messiah and a different kind of kingdom. He hasn't come yet, which is what uh, Judaism would believe. And, and then there's a the third option, which is to believe that the whole thing is, is a farce and it's all false and it makes false predictions and it didn't come true, which is obviously the belief of the atheist. Um, so I personally think that uh, the way the scriptures, the New Testament, succinctly fulfilled the Old Testament it is a very reasonable belief that they, that the Christian uh belief is, is the right one. Uh We believe that Jesus stands in the center of the scriptures. And I should mention along with you, the interesting thing about Abraham is that there are three Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and uh, Islam. And uh, Islam ironically believes that it points to um uh, uh, Prophet Muhammad and and their religion. So they in some sense agree with the Jews that it points to a different king and a different kind of kingdom. Um and so we have those tensions within, but I think it's quite reasonable, based upon the words of the apostles, to believe that the Christian is the right one. So I would like to focus now upon the uh on how to use this, uh, crystal-centric hermeneutic, this art of reading Jesus into the center of the scriptures, how to use it on, in a, on a practical way, uh, on a practical level, in a practical way, in drawing uh, New Testament, New Testament doctrine, uh, the ways of Jesus out of the Old Testament without, um, deviating from Him. It's probably no, uh, it's, you're probably well, well aware that um, some people, Jesus today looks a little more like David uh, than he does like uh, Jesus and that he permits war. And uh, there's there's a lot of ways in which we uh, as Christians can deviate from the example of Jesus and start following more of the pattern of some of the Old Testament saints. And I don't think that these Old Testament saints would have wanted that. And uh I have to give credit to the book uh Jesus on Every Page for this particular part that he uh opened this up in a way that I hadn't uh realized before. And uh so I would like to look at some of the life lot lives of the Old Testament saints, some of the fathers. And I'm gonna start off with Samson because he's such a bizarre one that no one would feel led to imitate him. Um but I don't know if you've ever thought about him being a type of Christ. Uh, he was chosen by God to play a special role in Israel. Jesus was also chosen to play a special role in Israel. Uh Samson overcame his enemies by giving his own life. And Jesus overcame his enemies by giving his own life. However, they did it in vastly different ways. And uh none of us would feel led to overcome our enemies the way Samson did, I hope. And... uh so when we read about the life of Samson, we should learn to overcome our enemies the way Jesus did. Samson is trying to tell you, tell us, to look to Jesus. Now another illustration would be Joseph. He was betrayed and forsaken by his own. Jesus was forsaken and betrayed by his own. Joseph was made second in command over Egypt. God, or Jesus, has been made second in command over over the entire universe. Joseph forgave those who betrayed him, and Jesus forgave many who betrayed him. But that doesn't mean that when somebody comes to us for forgiveness and we we kind of have a monopoly over them the way Joseph did over his brothers in Egypt that we should uh, lead them in all these uh, circles before we come out with uh, our forgiveness. Now, I'm not necessarily saying this to to judge Joseph. I, I don't know. I never quite made sense out of that whole story, but Joseph is trying to I think, tell us to look to Jesus. So when we see him, we should forgive like Jesus forgave. Uh, David's kingship was certainly foreshadowing Jesus' kingship. Um, but he wasn't trying to teach us how to treat the enemies of the kingdom. When we see uh, David's war, or warlike ways, we should think about how Jesus waged war. So David is trying to tell us to fight like Jesus.
2: And we've spent a lot of time looking at Abraham already. So when we observe the life of Abraham and that he
0: lived a life by faith, which we are also commanded to live, that doesn't mean that we should sell our home and wander around in the desert living uh, living in a tent. It means that we should seek uh, spend our lives, the rest of our days, seeking first the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Abraham saw. I don't know if that's a new thought, but uh, Abraham obeyed one of Jesus' commands commandments to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and we certainly aren't called to do it exactly like abraham did but he's trying to point us to jesus and do it the way jesus taught us to do it in fact i believe all the saints and all the prophets would enter into Moses' commandment or Moses' instructions tell us when he told us that there would come a prophet after him and we should hear him in all things so the entire body of believers in the old testament, those recorded in the faith chapter, Hebrews eleven, are trying to communicate to us that there's one coming afterwards who's going to do things and that is going to be the thing that they were expecting. Here the that one when he shows up. And for us to go back to them and model them in any way would be I should say in wrong ways. There are obviously ways in which we can model them in, in accordance with Jesus, but in many ways to go back to them would be, uh, to, well, I guess if I'm trying to disciple you or somebody and they would start following me and, instead of, instead of Jesus, that would seem begin, begin to see, seem somewhat problematic. I guess in as much as I would be a disciple of Jesus and following like his ways, it would be okay, but there's many parts about me that are not, uh, the way they don't look like Christ, although they should. And so it would be a mistake to follow me to the exact um, and that's kind of how the saints were, you know, it's like you're, you're starting to
2: follow the wrong person. And, uh, I think sometimes of, of the illustration that of, uh,
0: so if I live here in Pittsburgh, if you were traveling to Pittsburgh to enjoy the city, to see the city, if you were coming east or, or west for that matter on 376, you would see signs that say Pittsburgh, so many miles. Um, it would be a mistake to stop there. And to think that is the city. That was just the sign that was telling you the city that is ahead. In fact, if you were to come to the city, that is the ex, what was being expected by the sign. You would not return to the sign and think, oh, this is this, this glorious Pittsburgh, which I have been seeking. And so it's, it would be a mistake to return. That's sort of, I think the way these saints are. They are trying to communicate an idea. There is something glorious out ahead. Travel towards it when you find it. Follow him. We are just trying to communicate this idea to you, and so it helps us to realize when we think about the ethics of the kingdom to draw them from the one whom they sought, not from them. i don't think it was their heart to to uh to to do that and so I want to uh hit two disclaimers yet, and uh I will wrap up the one uh, statement which was given for our consideration in the uh the uh, So forward to the talk there on Strength to Strength's uh, website is leave crystal centrism for the theologians to discuss. Um, Obviously, that might be the the way some of us or we could feel about it. But I think this notion is a great mistake we should use the knowledge of Jesus to accurately interpret theological conundrums that we get ourselves into. And it doesn't take rock. It's not rocket science. I think it's very simple, a lot easier than uh, a lot of other methods that we might use. And uh, I would like to illustrate that briefly. i We spoke of Abraham and the land promise. And uh, I believe the apostles see this leading to new creation. Obviously, we went through a few verses in Paul's theology. On why that might be so. There's also, uh, people who believe that, uh, the end of that, uh, promise is the blood descendants of Abraham inheriting Canaan and that's a right that would continue. I personally don't, uh, subscribe to that view. Um and, and there's some who believe that view, who, there is some who believe that view also um believe that it's right for for that to continue to this day and that it's okay to uh to push other people off of that land and give it to those who claim, at least claim to be blood descendants of Abraham. Um J- Jesus said blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. What is it to be pure in heart? First Timothy chapter 1 verse 5 Paul says this, now the purpose of the commandment and the commandment that he had just given was not to get caught up with fables and genealogies that gender strife instead of godly edification. See, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience and from a sincere faith. So I want to emphasize the purity of the heart. It is the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart. To have a pure heart is to keep the two greatest commands to love God and our neighbor as ourselves to be perfect is to be, to keep this perfect perfectly. And so every, ta- every interpretation of in scripture must pass the test on whether it loves God and loves our neighbor as ourselves. And so the interpretation that this, the uh, land of Palestine uh, given to the blood descendants of Abraham um uh, seems, at least to many, to justify um pushing other people off of their taking their land and, and giving it to the blood descendants. Now um I, I picked this one because I think it's a fairly good illustration that it's clear uh that this is not something that Jesus would do if he told you to love your neighbor as yourself. You'd probably uh be making room for the strangers and pilgrims and, and you know, for the needy around you. And uh to to create a to create somebody, to make somebody who was, you know, established and turn them into a, an immigrant or a, uh, a homeless person to push them off their land is certainly not to love your neighbor. And, uh, so this commandment to love, which is a very basic and easy command for people like myself who are not theologians, I can, I can understand that. And so I can use that as a metric by which to interpret the scriptures. And so this commandment, um, if Christianity would make their theology pass this test, it would cut to the root of every apartheid apartheid theology. It would cut to the root of discrimination. Uh, and that's what the gospel does. And so we as people who who are not theologically inclined, who don't know how to uh, maybe argue this out, I mean, we can get this. I mean, this, when I realized this is like, wow, this is, I can, I can be a theologian in a sense. To, uh, model this, to model Jesus is to, uh, to do this perfectly. Jesus was perfection when it came to loving God and loving our neighbor. And so as we just simply model him, we can have confidence that we are living out the correct theology, even though it, we could not articulate that. It's beyond our comprehension, yet simple. Those who take Jesus at his word somehow cut through the chase and come out of the right place, never knowing what they have all uh, the great wisdom behind their actions. And so I we're not supposed to be biased, but I would invite us to be biased this morning. When we come to interpretation,
2: I think it's fitting to have a Jesus bias. So the other disclaimer I want to uh I think this is sort of an unfortunate
0: misunderstanding sometimes we talk about coming to Jesus first, coming to the Gospels to interpret the rest of the scriptures. And I think the heart that is behind that is with Jesus being uh, the lens that interprets the rest of the scriptures. He's the one who stands in the center, of the one the scriptures and history points to. Um, sometimes I think it's heard that while well, the rest of the scriptures aren't important and perhaps they could be erased or we can live without them. I don't think that this is what the heart of this uh, particular Interpretation and rather it's trying to get at what or how we ought to interpret the scriptures. I think the song of Solomon and Leviticus and Ezekiel and all these people who are sometimes difficult to understand are of great value. Um, Jesus is in every one of them. We can interpret them and all scriptures have value. I greatly enjoy listening to teachers who are very skilled in teaching the Old Testament and walking us through those things and seeing the beauty, beauty of Jesus from one end of the Bible to the other. And so I would just like to say that I hope that it's a misunderstanding we can move past and perhaps there has been sloppy um, teachings on this particular hermeneutic that have communicated that. And hopefully, yeah, hopefully this morning and as we looked at this and saw how the apostles use the Old Testament, we can see it's not an effort to
2: throw out those scriptures. It's an effort to interpret them in the most beautiful way possible. So the scriptures, I believe, have authority. Um, they are accurate. They
0: are right. They, they have. They have. Jesus has kept them. He has confirmed them. He has said that they speak the truth. They speak about Him. And so, in order for the scriptures to have authority, I said the scriptures are inspired. Not every interpretation is. And uh, the uh, I think in order for the scriptures to have authority, that we must interpret them in a way that aligns with the one who has authority, authority over all heaven and earth
2: and uh, the interpretation must in no way undermine him and uh, in conclusion John in chapter 1 says in the beginning
0: was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God This is referring to Jesus, Jesus as the word of God. Peter in Acts 11, 15 to 16, in the time where he, uh, uh, Cornelius received the spirit, said this, he said, and I being Peter began to speak. The Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. He says, then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he has, he said, John baptized, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he called Jesus the Word of the Lord. What's significant about this? Well, if you go into the Old Testament to Ezekiel and Jeremiah, 110 times, if I counted correctly, they used this phrase, the Word of the Lord. And I think the majority of those times, They use it in this way. They say, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2 says, God, who at various times in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Jesus is the word of the Lord who has come unto us, saying, and uh, Moses said, hear him in all things. He is the last word, the final authority. He summarizes all the scriptures in himself. He is the personification of the most, the only, uh, completely inspired interpretation of the scriptures. His life is a commentary. He is
2: that one. He stands at the center. He's the all in all. He's everything. And so that is pretty much the end of what I have to say. I see it's almost seven. And I would I would like
0: to, to say this yet, um some caution with this. I I think it's important to realize that that this is how the script the Jesus and the apostles use the scriptures. I think it's fair to say that we also ought to. It's not something we fabricated, it's something we got from them. But at the end of the day, it shouldn't turn into a dogma. As though there were salvation in ascending to a dogma. There is salvation in Jesus. And so it leaves us accountable before him and uh, our salvation honestly comes from him and we must uh, also follow him faithfully. So this message is not something that, you know, realizing this doesn't make me righteous. It, uh, it, it must lead me to the one who is able to do that, which requires me to uh, lay down myself and uh, to follow him. And make the Word of God uh, uh flesh once again, let him his word he him the Word, dwell in me and manifest himself in my flesh, so the Word must become flesh. so that's my conclusion. I'll turn the time back to Brother Bryant.
1: Thank you, brother. Thank you for taking us on this journey and um for me. Um, You you gave me, and I'm sure many others, um, another Emmaus Road experience this morning. Um, These disciples, after Jesus had vanished from their sight, they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? And I've always loved that Emmaus Road account. And just look forward to the time we can be in Jesus presence and experience what he did there on the, on the road. Um, but as you pointed out here, um, we are called to just as the, just as the prophets of old portray Christ in ways we are to do that. And so you were, you were true to your, um, to your prompting this morning. So thank you. Thank you, brother for for doing that, for taking us on that journey. Um, I hardly I hardly know where um to begin. Um, you gave us a lot of, of food for thought here this morning. Um, and and I, I just really appreciated finally, you know, towards the end um where, you know, what this Christocentric hermeneutic, you know, the art of as you as you described it, the art of seeing Jesus as the center of the scripture and and that can that can sound complicated and you helped us just see how that really isn't. Um, uh, it's not difficult theology, and then uh, and finally that that interpretation for the hermetic is just the two greatest commandments: love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And isn't that the beauty of in many ways the Anabaptist faith? If, if you will, is just that simple, Christ-centered hermeneutic of scripture.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: just this week, um at Sowers, I was talking with a um a reformed man. Um he's a he's a he he brings students in, he's part of a student discipleship ministry, and he and I are, are becoming friends and we were talking about <clears throat> theology and and um he was asking questions about anabaptism. He had some wrong views and I was kinda of helping to see and generalist not, wasn't really historic Anabaptism. They said, so you said, what, what creed do you all live by? And, um, yeah, how, how would you respond to a question like that? Um, Greg, how would, you know, when, when he said, what creed do you live by? Would you point to a creed? Um, yeah, I, I would be curious to hear your response and then I'll open it up for, uh, for, um, qu- you know, questions from input. Thoughts from, from the rest of the, the ones here.
0: Well, I'm good at coming up with uh my best answers afterwards when I hear questions like that. But um, I'd say that we uh we don't have a tree. We have a person. I think
3: that's that's where we need to be and
0: to try and communicate the fact or communicate who that person was or at least, you know, where he is found. Mm-hmm. And, you know, trying to, to get back to the root of, of Jesus' message and to, yeah, think about it from the from those beginnings
3: is probably where I would go with it.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, yeah, I found myself kind of stumbling a little bit. Um, you know, uh, we don't really have a creed on our, you know, for us as a church, we do have some, some, a statement of common faith. Um, and I mentioned you can go look, you know, look up the Schleichheim kind of confession that that's a great confession, and talk about that a little bit. And then, and then, uh, I found myself, you know, getting into this Christocentric, you know, idea. And, um, in, in Finney's book, um, uh, the, the King Jesus claims his church. Uh, he has a passage on interpreting scripture and he has a number of different things. And the one point there is the Christocentric exegesis and he says that. Near, but nearly everyone claims Christocentric, Christocentric exegesis, but few put this interpretive principle into practice. And, um, and I, yeah, how can, so again, maybe I'll, I have another question for you. So I, I talked about that, you know, how, you know, we, we just see Jesus as the center and, and radically want to follow and be obedient to him and understand scripture in that way. And that's kind of a general you know, creed, if you will, or hermeneutic of the Anabaptists. Um, And that's kind of why we, why we do the things we do. And of course he understood hermeneutics. Like he, he understood that, that theological term and how different hermeneutics, you know, you come out in different places. But if somebody agrees with you, let's say my, this reform man agrees with me. um, What are some ways that you can kind of niggle in and point out that. Sure. You, you embrace that, but yet, Practically, you're, 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 you're not really Christocentric. Would you, would you have some, some, some points for us to kind of dig in?
0: Yeah, well, I think ideally you would, uh, in order to communicate that while well, you'd have some time to have some conversation about the central tenets of Jesus'
2: message. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I think, uh, one of the, uh, it seems like uh, in in Romans 1 where Paul talks about the uh,
0: world who saw the Lordship, saw Jesus, knew about his law, so on and so forth, and be uh, turned away from it. It seems to me like there was an element, there's an element to humanity, and I think it rests in myself, where it requires just a deep humility and brokenness and be willing to just receive the message as it is. And so... um. I think depending who we're talking with and to what extent they have become willing, uh, might, that might alter how you approach that. But, uh, and I, I'd usually try to discern who I'm talking to in that sense with how, you know, forthright, uh, you might want to get with, with what you have to say. So we, we are ignorant sometimes. Sometimes we're, we're in living in self-denial to some degree. And so. Yeah, I, I don't think I have a good formula for those situations, but trying to, uh, sense who we're, commu- who we're talking with and, you know, trying
2: to adjust accordingly. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, I'll open it up. Any, any brothers here have questions or thoughts?
2: Enjoy
4: what you had to share, Greg. Um, and, uh, I just say amen. <clears throat> one, of, one of my favorite, um, stories in the Old Testament that touches my heart is the story in first Samuel chapter three where it gives a story of Samuel as a little boy in the temple and it says in verse seven I don't have it right in front of me something like this but the Lord had not revealed the word of the Lord had not been revealed yet to Samuel and then later in the chapter in verse 21 it says the Lord revealed to himself himself to Samuel by the word of the Lord and I was always touched by that story how Samuel, as a little boy, um, he learned to know Jesus, who was calling him through the word of the Lord in a very personal way. And um, if you go back and read that story, it almost brings tears to your eyes to to see the revelation that came to Samuel by the word of the Lord. And you see, it's not hard to pick up the personification of the word of the Lord in that situation. And, um, and so I, uh, yeah, it's, that's something that's, I think speaks to the subject as well. And as, and also in, in the last part of John chapter 11, uh, the, the, the Jewish authorities recognized Jesus threat to their national identity. And he said, if, if we don't do something with this man, the Romans are going to come and take away our place and our nation. And they, they saw Jesus, the word of God, as a direct threat to their national identity. And if if they would have all capitulated into the kingdom of God, there would be no national Israel
2: today. There just wouldn't <laughs> be. Amen, brother. Thank you, Leo. I'm glad oh, you figured out your, um, I'm glad you figured out your,
1: your speaker issue there. Brother Dan.
2: I think that's wronger than pinks
5: not in a teacup. I'm going to, not going to try to defend it today, but, uh, I dissent vigorously and bitterly.
1: Well, one one of the goals of, of strength to strength, Brother Dan is, um, to, <clears throat> I think it's facilitate or nurture candid discussions. So, uh, thank
2: you for, for sharing. any other thoughts or, or questions
3: thank you Greg for sharing just a quick question um i think you would probably agree that the uh, prophecies of jesus in the old testament um appear to be like a little bit concealed on purpose um like i think it could be um, more obvious if the lord you know so chose to make it more obvious do you have any thoughts on why it's, uh, presented as it is? Just for example, um take the prophecy to David about, uh, raising up, uh, his son, you know, speaking of Jesus as we know now, but, you know, was that really obvious to, to the people then? Even to the, even to the disciples, you know, there, there was a reason why the Emmaus Road needed to happen where Jesus now unveils everything. Um any thoughts on that?
2: Uh my thought on that is that I would like to hear the answer from somebody else. <laughs> I have
0: I'm well aware that it exists. I don't exactly know uh why. I mean I, I suppose that part of it could be that so in order to receive Jesus we definitely need to Humble ourselves and uh, come down from some of our lofty positions. And there's something about, uh, until we do that, we have a really difficult time to receive And so some of our journey downwards, I think, uh, helps us to come to a better position to, to walk in his ways. Then. so there's
2: some, I, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's, I don't have a lot to be honest. I'd be interested if you have anything to say on it. yeah i I don't know the answer
3: either so sometimes it's uh positive that um you know the the devil knows the scripture as well, and perhaps it was an attempt by the lord a successful attempt by the Lord to prevent the devil from understanding uh where where things are headed, so that ultimately he would be able to um you know bring in redemption and uh you know if you show all your cards um it kind of gives the other side uh, an advantage. So if the Lord kind of uh, retains some of that, uh, he would not be giving that to the devil to use against them. I don't know if that's true, but it's uh, it's an idea at least.
2: Yeah, I think that sounds reasonable. I think one thing that we can learn
3: about it, you know,
0: I reading how the New Testament uses the. Uh, the Old Testament in that way and draws on those somewhat ambiguous uh, life stories and makes these claims about it. I personally would not have come to those conclusions uh, very easily, I don't think. And so it, it can serve as uh, a, a tool to humble us in realizing that we are, st- at least I stood with the unbelieving uh, views up to some degree and uh, needed to uh, come down from that. So I think it sort of exposes the humanity in myself and uh, the
2: need for a transformed mind that Jesus offers to us. Yeah. Thank you for that. I'd like to return to the briefly to the other
5: topic that we had uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, after the Ascension, the uh, two angels that appear to the gathered disciples, Re, uh, reprove them saying, uh, what are you looking up to heaven for? This same Jesus will come back in this, in the way that you saw him leave. Now that Jesus, I got a secret to tell some people, uh, was a Jew. That same Jesus is coming back as a Jew. And when you, uh, depend upon, uh, someone who ever liveth to intercede for us and is before the throne of God interceding for us, that guy's a Jew. And to say that, that, uh, the Jews would evaporate, disappear, or become redundant or unnecessary
2: is something I disagree with. I'll temper my response. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for your response or for your input there.
0: Um, in so much as it deals with eschatology, I will back away from that and say that I do not have very fixed decisions on that. So I, I certainly admit there's some
2: uncertainties in my end on of, of, of that particular end of the spectrum, but yeah. thank you greg um
1: and, and and i'm not sure exactly what what um caused you to say those things that you said there but Dan, i appreciate you speaking up again um but and and leo maybe i, I might have you it this might be helpful um just you talked about how uh, this reality of 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 the, of, the, of the jewish people who were said to christ there wouldn't be a Jewish nation. And obviously we know that didn't happen. Um, And and it's not that you're against a, an Israel uh, and the nation of Israel today. Like people have countries. There is God has instituted governments and, and, and nations. And so you're not, you're not against per se um, the Jewish people having a nation, if you will, um, a secular person having a nation, you're not against that. It's just that you, you want people, you want not only the Jewish people, but all people to come to the, the full knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and King and embrace this spiritual kingdom. Am I putting, am I, am I, am I putting your, is, is that correct, Brother
2: Leo? Well,
4: I'm not sure, uh, it seems to me that um, our brother Dan is interpreting what Greg said or I said as as uh, like anti sentimentism or uh, or something. I, I'm not sure why he's saying what he is, but there's there is only one church, and that was from it was, it was one. There's only been one church of the ages of the those of faith, and Judaism is a is a uh, embryonic form of Christianity if Jesus is on every page. So I don't feel threatened by the fact that Jesus is a Jew or that he has Jewish grew up in Jewish culture, whatever that the point is, is that he's king over all the kingdom and of all the nations and his kingdom is made up of all peoples. And so there is only one group of people. There's not. There's not a dichotomy in the kingdom of Christ of, of, um, there's not a Jewish branch or a Gentile branch. There's only one people. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and the Father is above all and through all and in us all. And so we're, we're one family in Christ. And, uh, hopefully that, hopefully that, um, uh, clarifies what I said anyway, and I think Greg would agree with the same thing.
1: Sure. <clears throat> Great. Yeah. Thank you for that clarification. Um, uh, I think that was, that was good. And, and Dan, maybe we can have some more conversation uh, around this, uh, here at some point. So yeah. All right. Well, is there,
2: um, any, any other, any other thoughts? Questions here? We're at 20 minutes after seven. Well, I just wanted to say thank you, Greg. And I liked the, you made a statement that I like, I'll just amen to this. Jesus is the last word. Put it very, very well. There's a lot in that.
1: okay, so at the beginning at the beginning of of our talk here uh i was i was um kind of pushing on this this reality that or this pushing on why why did we start this theme with this topic this theme of sacred writings or sacred scripture where we're looking at you know looking at written scripture um why did we start with this and and it was the and the reason is it's because it's the it was the heart of of the committee of the of the admins here that as we look at the written scripture that we keep in mind that the Bible is not the end the written scripture is not the end, but it's just a means to an end, and that end is Jesus, and that it's all about this person, and so um so as we as we delve into this theme coming up here in the next months, let's remember that, that the written word, the written word just leads to the inner word in Jesus Christ. And only he is worthy of our worship, adoration and service. And so thank you again, Brother Greg, for uh, being on uh, coming be willing to tackle this. Huge but very important topic of Jesus as the ultimate revelation and um, you know I, and I'm so thankful that we get to live in this that we get to live in this covenant um, in many ways the old covenant uh, the prophets you know uh, Jesus was um, this coming savior this redeemer, this anointed one was was somewhat maybe black and white um, and now in this new covenant with the revelation of, you know, of Jesus through scripture, um, the New Testament, it, it goes to high res, full color, not perfectly, but in, in, in much more. So, <clears throat>
2: um,
1: and what, what a, what a privilege, what a, what a opportunity we have, uh, in this covenant, um, to, to be able to look back and, and look forward and also to proclaim Jesus and his kingdom right now on this earth so thanks again for for coming on here uh we're going to have prayer here just in a moment and brother greg could you close us in prayer let's pray right father
0: we thank you for jesus i pray that we can see him high and lifted up and uh i pray that as we consider the message of the bible that we could uh live our lives in such a way that uh That lifts him up and draws all men to him. The nations would find their commonality in that life, that blessing that, that has gone out to the nations and uh, pray that that message would be received. And Lord, I pray that you would just uh, allow us to live our lives humbly before him in a way that glorifies him and gives him his proper place in us, in our lives and uh, his Ways might be manifest in us. That's this in
1: Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you all, and have a great day.
5: As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance
2: of his friend.